0: take an opportunity to begin a series for Easter. Uh, next week we're going to look at uh, the Last Supper, and then the week after that we're going to look at the Crucifixion of Christ, and then on Easter Sunday we're going to look at the Resurrection of Christ. Uh, so excited about that! And um, as I forgot to mention this earlier, we plan on doing our uh, what we do every year for Easter. We're going to do a breakfast that morning uh, where we bring different breakfast food, uh, and then we'll have a service afterwards. We don't have any times yet, uh, but we will discuss it Wednesday, and we'll know them for sure. Um, but excited this morning as we look at James chapter 5, 7 through 12, um, what we find is James is kind of winding down the chapter at this point. He's kind of uh, pu- pulling it all into two different parts, and he's explaining some things to us. Uh, and one thing I want us to understand is I, I said this in the very beginning but I don't know if I mentioned it a while in a while is that the James is writing to the Church of Asia Minor there's about 10, 12 different churches and he's writing to these different churches that are uh, but they they're dispersed throughout different places they're, they're in um, some almost a form of exile, uh, not really to that extent, but they're dispersed, they're not where they should be, in uh, location, and, and so he's talking to them this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, just the difficulties of life and the patience we have in it, um, but as I get started in that, I wanted to uh, begin by looking at this word that many of us would probably know, and it's prescription. Do any of you take prescriptions? Really? No, No? Nobody? I mean, I, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to tell my grandmother. My grandmother, um, I wish she was here. It would make it even better. Uh, but she's just a sweet old lady. Y'all haven't met this grandmother. It's a different one. Um, and she, um, she's, she's 70-something. Uh, she's in it late. No, she's before 70. But she's got to a lot of heart problems and just problems over the years. So she takes prescriptions every day. Uh, and a bunch of them right what do the prescriptions do though what is a prescription you know uh, when we think about them we think about them it's a medicine that we take for some kind of condition or sickness that we have to kind of keep it at bay or to heal us or to help us in it um, but when we think about this prescription many of us will, we have prescriptions i'm actually on one prescription that i don't take regular and it's for gout uh yes i'm 25 and i'm a male with gout um that was interesting when I found that out. Um, but anyway, um, so these prescriptions, we take them because there's a condition or a sickness, and, and the, 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 the prescription, it, it helps it. it. It keeps it at bay. It makes it more durable. It makes it something. Um, and so a prescription is something that is really important, but when we think about it today, we think about it just on the medical side of things most of the time. Um, but I looked up some definitions of it, and one definition I found is the action of laying down authoritative authoritative rules or directions. Uh, And if you think that, I know that's a different form of the word, but when you look at that, it makes sense because who prescribes prescriptions for medical reasons? A doctor, right? Or uh, sometimes a nurse practitioner, depending on what kind of hospital you go to. Um, So they they lay down these, uh, uh, with authority, they're laying down these rules and and directions that you take this so many times a day or so often, uh, and it's to help you. Um, but we also, this, the reason I'm talking about prescriptions uh, is, isn't to be boring or anything of that nature, but it's because what, we're, you know, what we find in the Bible at times, uh, that we find prescriptions for different situations and circumstances that we may find ourselves in. And this morning, James, he actually um, addresses three of them. He he. In this text this morning, what we see is that James is expressing that those in these churches of Asia Minor, they need to have patience and suffering of this world, that they're going through the suffering and this pain, and we need to have patience in them. But he also, he provides three prescriptions for it, three ways of enduring these pains and struggles of this life. Um, now, I know you out there this morning. I know there's not many of us, but um, you probably don't know anything about pain and struggle and difficulties, right? No? Yeah, all of us do, right? We all have struggles and and circumstances that are beyond ourselves, And and sometimes there's stuff that you can't even just deal with. There's stuff that that just happens to everybody. Like, I'm going to use Sean, for example. We were talking on the phone last night, and he was telling me about his week. And if many of you know, his refrigerator went out last week. And then this week, he hit a deer on the way to work. And so, like, those are things that just happen, right? That doesn't, that's not something that just, it only happens to you, right? It's, it's the things that we go through in, in this life. And we all have circumstances that we find ourselves in. And that's what James is addressing this morning is when we find ourselves in just the struggles and the difficulties of this world, what are we to do? So, if you, boy, let's look at verses seven and eight, and then we'll go on and we'll make ourselves through 12 before we get through. Verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. Until it receives the early and late rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Let us pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, we come now and as this is something we all deal with. We deal with struggles and pains and sorrows and difficulties, God, and many of us have been there in the past few months, and many of us are sitting right dab in the middle of it this morning, and God, as I've heard so many times in my life, if you're not in one now and didn't just come out of one, that you probably head in that direction. So I pray this morning as we go through these moments in life, these difficulties, these struggles, this, this, these just plain out issues that we find ourselves in, God that we have patience, God, but we have patience through you and through you alone, God, and that you help us in these moments. We pray this morning that as we listen to your word, God, that we apply it to our lives, that we be doers and not only hearers. In your son's holy name, amen. He begins, he says, be patient. Uh, James starts off, and James, I, I love James, and I've said this before, I love this book because James was a straight-to-the-point kind of guy. And he starts off right here, and he says, be patient. He's starting this section, and he's, he's just laying it out there. He's not, he's, not, uh, he's, not, he's not babying it up. He ain't doing nothing like that. He says, be patient. But then he says, therefore, brothers. So James, is, he's addressing the church. He's addressing, uh, and I'm going to add there, brothers and sisters, because this is a moment where he's not talking to just men, but men and women. He says, be patient, my brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. So James, he lays out there first and foremost that we are called to be patient. Why and how long? How long are we to be patient in this world? Until the coming of the Lord. Until the moment of either our death or Christ's returning, we are called to be patient in working towards what God has. So he, he see that he goes on, he says, "See how the former waits for the precious fruit of the earth." James right here, he presents um, what we see throughout this whole text is that he gives us three examples of, of people being patient. The first one here, and I love this one uh, almost as much as I love the other two because it's just plain and it's simple. He says, look at the farmer. Um, and I'm definitely not a farmer. I've worked gardens in my life, and I actually want to plant a little garden next year when things slow down. But I'm definitely not a farmer. Uh, but he says, look at the farmer, the, how he waits for the fruit of the earth, being patient, patient about it. He says, until it receives the early and late rains. He he, he's, he says, look at the farmer, for example. You know the farmer. You know they till the ground, they plant the seeds, and then what do they do after that? They pay, they wait patiently, right? They wait for that early rain. And then in the meantime, they may work the fields and and get the the weeds and all that out. But eventually, they're just waiting for God to do his end of it, right? Because they can't control when it rains. They can't control when it doesn't. So a farmer, they were waiting on the Lord, especially in this time and age. You know, nowadays, if we really wanted to to make our crops grow, we could, you know, put a water hose out there and, and put water out there ourselves. But in this time, they didn't have that, right? So they had to patiently wait on God to take care of it. But then he says once again, and I said this Wednesday night, when we see words that repeat, it is very important. He says in verse 8, you also be patient. He says it once again. He says just like the farmer is patient and waiting on God to do his end of it, that's you too be patient. You be patient in the Lord. But then this, this next statement, it says establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James right here, he's given us this first prescription, this first command of how we be patient. How are we good to be patient? Uh, and I've, I find this a very important, important topic this morning because I don't know about y'all, but patient is definitely not my strong suit especially when it's moments of difficulties and moments of hard times. I'm the type of person where I want to jump in there and I want to fix it and I want to move on to the next thing. But sometimes you just have to deal with it, right? You just have to sit back and let God do what God's going to do. And the first prescription he gives us for this is to establish your hearts. And really what this means is to stand the test of time, to stand firm with patience through the suffering of this world. So this idea of standing firm, it means to, to stand where you are, to hold your ground with the Lord. And I wanted to just address this for a moment of how do we do this? How do we stand firm in this world? How do we hold on to God in moments of difficulties and hard times? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind, and I think we've seen a, a mighty work in it in the past few months, is prayer. That when we have to stand firm to who God is and allow God to to take firm of the situation and to empower us and to guide us in the moments, we have to have prayer in our lives. We have to handle it with prayer. We have to cover it with prayer. We have to allow Him to do what He's going to do in it and ask Him to help us in it. The second thing that comes to mind is what I'm holding here is being in the Word of God because literally this is the words of God. That when we open this up and we read it, this is what God has to say to us today just like He did when He said it to the ones that wrote it and then He'll say it to it to the end of the earth. He, this is the Word of God and this is what God has to say. So how do we stay firm in who God is and how do we depend on Him? First, we pray to Him. Second, we see what He has to say to us. And then I think of other areas of life that it could... Be very beneficial, and we'll talk more about one of them later. But being a part of a church, right? Being a part of a family of God that will help you and encourage you and have fellowship with brothers and sisters that will be there for you and encourage you and move you forward in them moments of difficulty. Then praising God and worshiping God, that may, seem, uh, that may seem simple, that may seem like it doesn't help, but I promise you there's nothing like coming to the house of the Lord and praising God and having rest in Him that we can go out into the world and handle what we're going to go through, handle the circumstances. And then also when you really think about how mighty God is and how little your circumstances are, you can praise Him because you know He's going to take care of them. Then I think about the idea of communion and we'll talk more about that next week and we'll take of it again as we do every first Sunday. But the idea of communion is we're taking the blood and the body of Christ and we're allowing it to be an encouragement to our life. These are sacraments that, that are, are empowering us to stand firm in the faith. And then to sit under the preaching of God's Word. Um, there's something to be the the word being proclaimed to us there's something amazing and powerful in that and we're called to do all of these things but the first two things with me is what you can do one-on-one by yourself when you get home you can pray to God and you can be in his word and that is how you're going to stand firm in the difficulties you're going to face but then he goes on he goes on to say for the coming of the Lord is at hand so uh, I'm not making fun of this, but uh, you, you, we all grew up in the day and age where we have what, what a type of preaching called what? What preaching do you hear about all the time? Fire hell and brimstone, right? this Firm preaching about hell and what's going to happen. And this this isn't what James is doing here. I'm not making fun of that. That's a good way of preaching at times. But this isn't what James is saying. James isn't coming in here saying, for the day of the Lord is at hand. He's not using this to drive them in in fear and saying that if you don't get right, you're going to burn. He's not saying any of that. James is using this statement as an encouragement to the church. He's saying, look, the day of the Lord is coming. So the suffering and the the, the issues that you have in this world, they're not going to last forever. There's going to be a day of great joy. There's going to be a day of without pain, sorrow, suffering. There's going to be a day that you're with your Father in heaven for eternity. And and in that day, none of this will matter. James is using this as an encouragement to the, the church in this setting. Now, obviously, there's other ways to use a statement like that, but that's not James' intent. Then in verse 9, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And In this, what we see is James' second prescription of how to have patience. To not grumble against one another. Now, how is that a prescription of patience? That I don't complain against Sean, or I don't complain against Mr. Wayne, or to Mallory, or myself. How is that an idea of patience? To not grumble against one another. It's, it's simple. When you really think about it, it's very simple. Is that when we grumble against one another, all we're doing is tearing each other apart, right? But what we're called to do in Scripture, and we'll actually look at it um, at the end, the end of next month, we're going to see that we're called to do things together, right? To suffer with one another, to encourage one another, to build one another up, to pray for one that is sick, to confess sins together. We're called to do life together as a church. We're called to depend on one another. But if we're grumbling against one another, then we're not doing that then we're not dependent on each other. We're not allowing the body of Christ, the family of Christ that we have to strengthen and encourage us. And so he says, look, the second thing you must do to keep this patience, not only are you to uh, establish your hearts as an individual, but you're supposed to help one another in these moments. And then he ends it again. He says, the judge is standing at the door. It's another statement of Christ is coming and it's an encouragement once again that, that, that the judge is coming and that if we stand firm and we help one another and we be there for one another, we encourage one another as we're called to do, then we won't have the judgment on us. Then verses 10 through 11. I says, I, as an example of suffering and patience, brother, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I began by saying that there's, two example, there's three examples that James gives us. The first one is the former, and we see the other two here. He gives us the example of the prophets and the example of Job. And I want to first look at the, the example of the prophets. And I, I mentioned this guy Wednesday night, but I want to talk about him again. Um, it's the example of Jeremiah. Uh, when we talk about prophets, there's so many prophets I could have named, but I, I really Jeremiah was on my heart and mind as I was preparing this. And I think about Jeremiah 29:11. It's a verse that most of us know. Uh, and if you kept up with uh, Tim Tebow when he played college football, he wore 29, Jeremiah 29:11 29, on his face all the time. But Jeremiah 29:11 says this: "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord, "plans of welfare, not for evil, to give I will bear." I will hear uh, for your future and hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You will from all nations and all places where I have driven you to close the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. See, Jeremiah 29 and 11, it's this verse we, we see on pretty pictures and we see it all over the homes and there's nothing wrong with that. It's this idea that God knows the plans he has for us. For And he says here, I know the plans I have for you to the Lord, plans of warfare, not for evil, to give you a fortune, a fortune and a hope, a future and a hope. See, but when God said this through Jeremiah, you know where the Israelites were in exile in punishment and pain and sorrow in difficulty just like everybody else that lives in this earth they were going through something they couldn't control they were in exile and the, th- the funny thing and the amazing thing that i see in this is that jeremiah is the prophet proclaiming the word of god and jeremiah is the one that is he is reassuring the people of god that that when they go through these difficulties that god is he's got an outcome for them of good that they will return them out of exile but jeremiah never came out of exile Jeremiah died in exile. He never came back to the promised land. He never come back to to where he belonged. And so what we see here is that Jeremiah, he died in his difficulties. He died in his sorrow. He died in the pain that he was going through. But the ultimate thing that we take from it is that after his death, that he still went to be with God forever. And and the time period is, is kind of questionable to some. But what we see here is that regardless that he came out of this pain and sorrow for the betterment and for God's purpose. But I want to read part 11 again. And I want us to think about it in the context that they were in exile. Verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you to close the Lord, plans of welfare and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Many of the people died in the suffering. But God says, I have the plans for you. I I know what I'm doing. I'm taking care of you. And even in the exile, even in the difficulties and in the hard times, God had a plan for His people. And that's the encouragement to us is that when we stay steadfast, when we stand firm, when we we have patience of the Lord in our difficulties, God has a plan in those moments. So the the third example we see is Job. And uh, if you want to look at Job chapter 42 with me, you can turn there, or you can just stay where you're at with Job 42. I'm going to look at verses 10 and uh, 11. But Job, Job is this story, if you don't know it. Job is a man that um, in the beginning of the book we see is that Satan comes to God and asks who he can tempt, and Satan asks God who he can tempt, and God says, Have you thought about my servant Job? And then what we see in the entire book of Job is... Uh, pain sorrow suffering uh, is a minor statement for Job's life that he loses everything he has all of his sons daughters family friends Uh, his wife turns against him tells him to curse God his friends tell him to curse God he's standing alone in in the patience of the Lord and we see in the end that Job does kind of blame God towards the end but he in 42 we see in verses 10 2 through 6 that he repents Job says, he actually says in verse 5, I have heard of you by the ear, but now by my eyes I see you. That Job, in this difficulty, in this hard time, he stand firm. He, he, he stood the test and all the things that he went through. He went through some stuff that we don't even want to imagine today. That in one day he lost all of his kids. He lost all of his workers, all of his livestock, he lost all, everything he had. But Job stood the test. He had patience in all of this. And let's see what happens in verse, in chapter, in verse 10 of 42. It says, and the Lord restored the The fortunes of Job, when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before, then came back to him all of his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before. And they ate bread with him in the house, and they showed him sympathy and comforted him in the evil and the Lord had brought upon him. Each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And then verses 2 through 17, he explains everything that was added to Job, the difference from the beginning and the end, but it's a bunch of numbers, so I'm not going to read that. But in verse 17, and Job died an old man and full of days. See, Job went through a horrific life, He went through a bunch of stuff that we don't even want to imagine. But Job had patience in all of this. Job stood this test. He stood firm in who God was. And what we see in the end of that is the same thing that James says in chapter 5, verse 11. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. That God takes our bad situations and He turns them into good things. That when we go through these difficulties, these hard times, there's a plan and a purpose behind them. Then verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no's be no, so that you may not fall into condemnation. I'm going to go back to where that originated from. And it is Matthew five thirty-three through seven thirty-seven. And this is Jesus talking, and he is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, again, I have heard that it was said in the old days, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take one of the oath of your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be yes or, or no, anything more than this comes from evil. James, Jesus isn't saying don't make promises to people. He's not saying that. But an oath is this deep uh, that, that you have this deep plan to, to commit to something. And James is saying here, look, don't, don't do this because and the reasoning why Jesus says this, he says, for the heavens is God's, the earth is his footstool, that Jerusalem is the king's, and that your head is even God's. That you can't make it, I know this was a different time, but you can't make your hair white or black. So what, James, what Jesus is saying is that God is in control of all things. So just simply say yes or no. And he's saying here, don't make promises you can't keep is ultimately what it boils down to. So this morning, as we looked at all of this, we looked at the Job and Jeremiah and the, and, and the, the gardener. We see these things. We see that throughout all of this, that James is commanding and God is commanding us to be patient in the suffering that we face in this world. But he also he gives us three prescriptions, and I want to look at them once again. first one is to establish our hearts, that we stand firm in who Christ is and who we are in God, that we allow God to empower us in this, that we, that we depend on his prayer, we depend on his word, we depend on the church, we depend on worship through the preaching of God's word through communion, that we depend on who God is in our difficulties. We stand firm in who he is. And that right there to me, that, that is the first and most important thing that James says, because that right there is the only way to have patience in our difficulties. Because I, I'm going to be honest with you, I would, have, I would have ended a lot of different aspects. I would have been broken down more than I have ever been in my life if I did not have the power of God. And I think well, a lot of us have seen that in our lives especially in the last few years, is that without God being in control and without depending on who He is, that we would find ourselves broken and have hope without hope and we wouldn't know what to do. But then he goes on, he says, do not grumble against one another. That, that rather than grumbling against one another, we're called to help one another, to encourage one another, to build one another up, and to be there for one another. Strengthen your brother and sister in Christ. Help them in their difficulties, but also go to somebody when you're facing those problems. Don't try to do it on your own. God has made us into a community, to a, a church family for a reason and a purpose, and it's so that we can help one another in this life. Then he says, don't swear, but let your yes be yes and your no's be yo's. Don't plan too far in advance. Don't try to do something that's greater than what you can do. But also a key thing in that is to trust in what God is doing. See, what we try to do is we make plans in our own abilities. We make plans in our own knowledge, and our own thoughts, in our own desires. But we, we're called to trust in God and let God make them plans for us. Let God's yeses be yeses and let our noes be noes. Let God be in control of our life. So Sean and Michelle comes, I want to leave us with one last thought. This world is temporary and the struggles of this world is The things that you're going through, the difficulties, the problems, the hard times, that whatever the circumstance is, it's different for everybody. Um, Those things are temporary. Not only are they temporary on this earth, they'll end one day on this earth most of the time. And if they don't, they're going to end when we come to Christ in glory. If it's through death or if it's through the return of Christ. So my my charge to us this morning is to stand firm without grumbling and swearing, but rather trust in the Lord and be patiently waiting on Him. God's got our back. God's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He takes good things and turns it into good. He's calling us to be patient and to stand firm with Him. My prayer this morning is that we do so. Dear Heavenly Father, I come now. I thank You so much for this day, God. I thank You for who You are. I thank You for being the God that can take bad things, God, things that seem unbearable, things that, that, that they are just little things, God, but they just make a day and a week bad. You're a God that can take those things and you can turn them into good things. You can turn them into a chance for us to share your gospel with somebody. You can take those times and you can turn them into the good of our family and friends, God. You can take these bad things and you can just do a will in them, God, that we can never think of. So my prayer this morning, God, is that we trust in you, God, that we know you're in control of all things, no matter what's going on, that you have made this earth. And as you've said in in Matthew chapter 5, that the heavens is yours, that the earth is your footstool, that Jerusalem is the king's, and our head is even yours, God, that you are in control of all things. And we pray that you do your will in them, God, but we have patience and we trust in you. We love you, we glorify you, and we praise you. In your son's holy name, amen.